Well, we have been in this worship series in the book of Acts, starting at Pentecost and moving through now into the summer. And as you recall last week, if you were here with us in worship, it was this really harrowing account of the stoning of Stephen and a really terrifying moment. And then it ends in Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3, with Saul persecuting the church and people being sent out from Jerusalem. The gospel had been rejected in Jerusalem and now begins these fascinating few chapters to see what happens as people are sent out from Jerusalem. The apostles stay in Jerusalem, but everybody else that believes is being sent out and like thrown out of Jerusalem. So now we get to see an account of what ends up happening as a result of people being sent out from Jerusalem. So if you'd like to, you can follow along by reading in your own Bibles, wherever you may be. You can pull up maybe Bible Gateway or an app on your phone and and type in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 4 through 25. So listen now to God's word. Now those who were scattered went from place to place, proclaiming the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud shrieks came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. Now a certain man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great, all of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. After being, or even Simon himself believed, And after being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, and the two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. Now, after Peter and John had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in a word of prayer.
Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is so fascinating to hear Acts chapter 7 and then read Acts chapter 8. The gospel is rejected in Jerusalem. Stephen is stoned and a persecution begins. And Saul threatens the church with uh, incarceration, men and women. That's what Acts chapter 8 says. And so they get to be sent out. They leave Jerusalem. And it's so interesting that Luke picks up on the story of Philip. And Philip goes to none other than Samaria to start this new ministry of sharing the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. It's fascinating. Do you remember earlier this year in our worship services where we talked about the gospel of Mark and there was those accounts where Jesus himself went into Samaria and then even the good Samaritan story too about what was a good analogy for what a good neighbor should look like and it was a Samaritan. Do you remember those stories? In all of those stories, we tried to communicate and share with you all the, some of the learning that we had done, which was that even though Jewish persons and Samaritans came from a similar background, historical background, at that time they found each other to be bitter rivals, almost enemies with each other, so much so that it was dangerous for a Jewish person to walk into Samaria they might be putting their life on the line by walking into those villages, by walking into that city of Samaria. It was dangerous for Jewish people to go there. And so it's fascinating that this is exactly where Philip goes. Like he had his life on the line in Jerusalem and he was being persecuted and he walks into Samaria and he starts to preach the good news and it's received, it's accepted. People are baptized, people that were uh, paralyzed are made well. People that were blind are made well. It's an amazing story. And I love the way Luke tells the story too because he starts out kind of wide picture, right? Here's Philip doing ministry in Samaria and all these people come into faith and there's great joy in the city of Samaria. And then he starts to zoom in to a particular story about a particular person, about Simon the Great or Simon the Magician. And he hears Philip, and he too is baptized, and he begins to believe. He practiced magic in the city before Philip, and it had these large crowds gathered around him. And of course, there's a tension in the story. I don't know if you could hear it, but uh, the leaders in Jerusalem, Peter and John, hear that people are being baptized in Samaria. It's like, no, that can't be true. That can't be real. We have to go down to Samaria and check for ourselves because we would know, certainly. We're the apostles. And so they go down to Samaria. And yes, it's true. People are receiving the good news. They're being baptized. And even Simon, the magician, is. And they begin to lay their hands on people and to share the Holy Spirit. And there becomes this moment of crisis. Simon, the magician, sees the laying on of hands and the passing of the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, how much silver could I give you to obtain that power? How much money could I give you so that whenever I touch someone, I could give them the Holy Spirit too? And they rebuke him right away. And they say, you cannot obtain God's gift with money. You cannot obtain God's gift with money. Repent, your heart is not in the right place. It's this deep moment of crisis when Luke focuses in to the particular between Peter and John and Simon cannot obtain God's gift with money. 
when I was a kid, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. And I've shared that many times. I loved growing up as a kid in Boulder, Colorado. It was a great place to grow up as a kid. And there's one district in Boulder. It's called Pearl Street. I don't know if any of you have been there before, but it's kind of like, you know how on the peninsula, there's all these cities, and now it's just kind of one big suburban sprawl. But I imagine 30 or 40 years ago, there usually was a, like a downtown of each of these cities, like San Carlos and Redwood City and Belmont and Burlingame, and they had their own little shopping areas and restaurant areas. Well, Pearl Street is the shopping area in this really nice restaurant district in Boulder, but it's cut off to traffic. Cars can't drive down the street. It's only foot traffic, and it's all these cobblestones and, and bricks, and it's a really fun place to go. And I remember being a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old and a little kid, and we would go there, and sometime many years ago, there was this new thing that started to happen on Pearl Street where these street performers would come. I'm sure somebody in the 70s or the 80s just opened up their guitar case and started playing music, and they'd throw a couple dollars in, and, and it kind of evolved from there. And when I was a kid in the 90s, growing up in Boulder, we would go, and my favorite street performer I loved to see was this person called the Zip Code Man. He was amazing, okay? He would get out this huge piece of rope, and he would draw out the United States of America with the rope, and he would stand inside of it. And as all these people gathered around him, wondering what he was doing, he would begin to say, tell me your zip code. Tell me your zip code. And he, they would tell him the zip code. And he goes, you live in Lansing, Michigan, and there's a great pancake restaurant across the street from blah, blah, blah. And they go, how do you know that? And then somebody will say, here's the zip code. And like, you're from Alabama. And he would know it. He had it all memorized. He knew every zip code in the country. And he had unique facts about every zip code too. It was amazing. I remember being a seven-year-old, looking at him going, how does he know where everybody lives, dad? <laughs> like, how does he know how to do this? This is incredible. And over the years, he added on to his performance. He added on a unicycling and juggling, and then even throwing up like flaming things in the air while he told people where they lived. He was amazing. He was incredible. The zip code man. See, I think in our lives sometimes we wonder when we read this story, like, what is a magician? Who, what, is, what is the magic that Simon was practicing? But actually, I think magicians are way more familiar to us than we imagine, right? Like, the zip code man was a magician to me when I was seven and eight. Obviously, as you grow up, you know, some of these mythologies kind of become demythologized, and he wasn't a magician, but he was just had this incredible mind to memorize things, and he memorized every zip code in the country. And so he wasn't truly a magician, but he had a power. He had a skill set. And he used it to gather in these large crowds of people. And he became famous in Boulder, Colorado, the zip code man. Now, this kind of magic that the zip code man had was fairly innocuous, right? It wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't problematic. Maybe he made a couple hundred bucks a week when he went out to go do his routine. It wasn't that big of a deal. But this is where it is a big deal in the story of Acts chapter 8 is that what if the zip code man walks into the church? Or what if a magician walks into the church and says, hey, I see a power there, and I want to take that power and see if I can monetize it, and can I pay you for it? Like, imagine that reality happening, and that's where this crisis moment takes place in this story in Acts chapter 8. If Simon the magician walked into the church and said, can I pay you money because I see something powerful happening, perhaps I can monetize it and make more than just a couple hundred dollars a week. Maybe my crowds can be as large as your crowds, right? That's where it begins to be a little bit more tenuous, a little bit more 
uh, anxious, a little bit more stressful. And I think we see magicians like this in our lifetime all the time as well. I mean, obviously, the zip code man isn't walking into the church right now, but I know there's plenty of powerful people we've seen in our lives waving Bibles, going to church, saying they have faith, that they believe, but really they find a utility and a power in the church that they want to acquire for themselves to be leveraged for their own economic benefit or their own political gain, right? We've seen that for all of time, basically since the beginning of the church. We've seen magicians like that in our midst. They exist, they're around. And while those magicians are around, I just have a sense that um, in our lives, that isn't something we wrestle with too much. Magicians aren't walking in here right now. Maybe they're not even walking in on the live stream right now. But there is a way that persons who have brokered power through time have done very subtle things to impact the ways in which we receive the gospel and the mixture of these two things and needing them to be teased apart. A few years ago, I was invited to be a groomsman at one of my good friend's weddings. And my good friend, he and I went to seminary together. And one of the best parts about going to Princeton Seminary was that there were people from all over the country that went to school there. So I made friends with people from everywhere and all over the world, actually. It was really fun. And my friend, he was from Georgia and he and his wife were getting married in Georgia. So I flew out to Georgia and we were in this tiny little town called Thomasville, Georgia. And he was getting married in Second Presbyterian Church. Yes, there are actually towns that have first, second, third, and fourth Presbyterian churches. This was one of them. There's many Presbyterian churches in this town. And we were in the basement of Second Presbyterian Church, getting our tuxedo on, doing all the things that we're supposed to do, and then we're going to go take some photos. We left the library, and we're walking next to the nursery. And I took a look in, and I saw this painting on the wall, and I just had to stop and take a photo. So you can put it up on the screen now if people want to see it. Do you see this picture? It's kind of hard to see, but there's a crib on the ground. That's where the little babies go. And then there's a picture of some reeds and some water and what looks like Moses. And if somehow Drew could zoom in on it, I don't know if he can, um, you could see Moses in the middle of it. Do you see Moses? Is that what Moses looks like? It's a picture of Moses, but Moses is white with red hair. I think maybe even blue eyes. And I stopped and I said, there's no way that's what Moses looked like. <laughs> that is not a historical accurate representation of Moses. That could not be true. But myself, having traveled to the South for the very first time in my life in a meaningful way, and I looked over there and I thought, yeah, but all the babies in this church look like that. So there was this kind of mixture of power dynamics and art being reflected in a very kind of real way that could have been problematic for folks, right? Because what Peter and John say to Simon is, you can't obtain God's gift with money. But maybe for a person like this, with some of the powers at work in that space, could think, oh, I obtain God's gift simply because of who I am, because of the way I look like, because there's a picture of Moses that looks just like me. I mean, these images can be problematic in our life. There's a way that these things can be woven in, and they're very subtle. They're very subtle, and they can be problematic for us in, in the ways in which we interpret art, and it's brought into the life of the church, and it's painted on our walls. What if somebody grew up with that their whole life? Um, would they begin to think that a person born in Egypt looked like that? I mean, certainly there's problematic areas there.
even in the midst of that picture and the subtleties of how power and magic kind of get woven into the reality of the church, I think there's really good news here in Acts chapter 8. There's incredible grace here in Acts chapter 8. And the good news, I think, for Acts chapter 8 is that in this moment of crisis point, Peter and John say to Simon, you cannot obtain God's gift with money. But if you flip it into a positive, you take a negative statement, what you cannot do, I think what they could have also said too is that the Spirit gives you God's gift, Simon. It's the Spirit who gives you God's gift. You can't obtain it through money. You can't obtain it through power. You can't leverage it to become some kind of economic reality, help you grow crowds and make money. It's the Spirit who gives you God's gift. And I think this is beautiful for Simon because he was a person that was brokering for power and obtaining wealth and obtaining a variety of things. And maybe he just thought, oh, here's another opportunity for me. But Peter and John, in a way, get to rebuke him, ask him to repent, and to say your heart's not in the right place, but your heart could be in the right place because it's the Spirit who gives us God's gift. And I love Simon's response. I think there's so much grace in the way that Simon responds to this encounter. Uh, you know, so many of us might come to this point and get super defensive. Could you imagine if somebody said, hey, what you're doing is wrong, and we would go, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything bad. And Simon's response is beautiful. It's simple. He just says, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me that what you have said will not come to pass, and that in my baptism and the Holy Spirit coming upon me, perhaps I too will be able to tease apart these old things that have been a part of me, and I can live fully into this awareness that it's the Spirit who gives us God's gift, right? Some of the ways those magicians and I myself, having previously practiced magic, can let go of some of that stuff so I can make space for the Spirit working in my life right now. There's so much grace in this. There's so much good news in this, that it's the Spirit who gives us God's gift. This idea is maintained as the gospel spreads through the world, as we hear in Acts, that people who want to try to acquire it by means of power or money, they simply cannot do that because it's the Spirit who gives God's gift. And it happens through human relationship, through the laying on of hands. It's beautiful that it's shared in that capacity. It's not a power to be held and possessed and obtained, but it's a gift that we share with each other and we lay our hands on each other. There's so much good news here. I think for us too, this is good news for us too, this idea that the Spirit gives us God's gift. In this moment of pandemic, I don't know how you feel, but one of the things that I think I've really struggled with in this season is that I really need people to be a Christian. Like, I, I need other people in my life. I need Peter and John in my life. I've benefited so much in my life from um, friends, from mentors, from colleagues, from coworkers, from you, and how we might help each other learn and grow into truth in the midst of our relationship with God, and how these things that have been woven into our life how we want to unweave them from our lives so that we can live into the Spirit's work in our life. And I think that's one of the challenging things right now is that we don't have that dynamic to share with each other. And yet, the truth remains still that the Spirit gives us God's gift. And so in this time 
where it's really challenging, I've sort of felt guilty where it's like, well, should I read the Bible every day? I told this story to staff a couple of weeks ago where I, I tried to read the Bible every day, uh, Proverbs every day for lunch, and it only lasted for four days. <laughs> it only lasted for four days. And that's partially because I have little kids and it's really challenging right now and the pandemic adds more contextual problems to all of that. And yet, I think there's a way that we can start to feel guilty about that stuff, especially during the pandemic. We can start to feel guilty about it. Like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not reading enough. I'm not obtaining enough. I'm not doing enough. And this is the gift. This is the good news. It's the Spirit who gives us God's gift. It's not a gift to be earned or to be read. The life in entering into the journey of faith is not a thing that can be earned. Those things can help us grow in our faith and get broader, and that's where we miss each other, and that's where we miss the community of faith. But it doesn't mean that simply by reading the Bible we might come into a faithful life with the Spirit of God or just by seeing other things. We need each other. And in this time, I think it's very okay for us to feel a sense of grace for ourselves and maybe even to feel that sense of what Simon says, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. So I wonder in this season of life for you, in the midst of this pandemic, and as you try to lean into these ideas of the Spirit giving us God's gift, is there a way that you can be in prayer for someone Is there a way that someone can be in prayer for you? Perhaps we need to be a little bit more intentional right now about doing that because we might not just bump into somebody and see them, but maybe you're seeing somebody on Facebook Live right now, uh, a face pop up, or you saw somebody on here and you might think, I'm just gonna send them a text or a Snapchat or a Facebook message just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you and I'd love to pray for you. Um, Just reach out if you'd like to pray sometime. So make what we have a communal experience right now. Make what we have a communal experience so that we can remember together that it's the Spirit who gives us God's gift. We need each other, and this is one of the ways in which we can do this right now. The Spirit gives us God's gift, and we can, if we're good friends enough, be able to rebuke each other, repent each other, say, hey, your heart's not in the right place right now. But it can. It can be in the right place. It really can. And it's not going to be something you earn, but it's just paying attention to where the Spirit's at work in your life. The Spirit gives you God's gift, gives us God's gift. One of the things I I sort of miss most about ministry right now is, um, well, sorry, I'll transition a different way. The past few weeks, I've been working with Gerardo Garcia on his ordination service. Yeah, Gerardo, so exciting. He's going to be ordained in a couple of weeks on July 16th. I've been working with him. And we have this sort of conundrum right now, which is that, like in the story in Acts, we lay hands on people to share the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. But we've been laying hands on each other as a symbol of being ordained or installed. And it's a powerful moment in ministry. And we're like, how are we going to do this in a digital way? I'm I'm sure we'll find some way to make it happen, and it will. But it's just reminded me so much so recently of how we as a church ordain elders and deacons. And there was one particular person who became a deacon a few years ago, and I got to participate in that person's faith journey just a little bit and got to know what was going on in their life some of the challenges they experienced, some of the hardships that they had growing up. And they became a Christian, you know, as many of us do throughout our whole lives. And then 
they received only from the Holy Spirit, truly, to serve as a deacon. And they said, I feel really called to do this. So it's like, I'm not doing this so I can, you know, you think back to Simon. I'm not doing this to make money or to have a crowd or be amazing. I just want to serve. And I think the Spirit of God is calling me to do this in this way. And on that particular Sunday in January, a couple of years ago, Pastor Mary and I uh, asked them questions. And then my favorite part of ordination and installation of elders and deacons is when we say, if you have ever been ordained as an elder, will you stand up? And then will you come forward for the laying on of hands? And it's so beautiful because like half the sanctuary stands up. Half the sanctuary stands up and they all come down and we all lay hands on these people to pass on the gift of God. It's like through the Holy Spirit, through our laying on the hands. And on this particular Sunday, I was standing right here and I was looking down at this person and my hand was on this person's shoulder and other people had their hands on this person's shoulder and we prayed and when this person opened up their eyes, they were just full of tears, full of tears. And I asked them later, I said, what were the tears about? And they said, oh, the tears were like, my heart was finally in the right place for the first time as I received this calling to become a deacon for Trinity. It was so beautiful, friends. It's the Spirit who gives us God's gift. It's the Spirit who gives us God's gift. And we can always yield to the Spirit. The heart can always find a way into the right place. God is at work now. God is at work in us. Let's continue to be that community of faith where we have to reimagine that moment may or may not happen again for a bit, for a little while. But we have to hold on to the memories, the laying on of hands that the Spirit works through one another. The Spirit's at work through you. So I encourage you this day, reach out to somebody. How can I pray for you? If you need prayer, if you feel like you're a bit like Simon right now and you need some prayer, like your heart's not in the right spot, look at somebody on Facebook Live. Look at somebody in the church and reach out to them. And so that we can hold on to God's gift. God's gift. It's the Spirit who gives us God's gift. Join me in a word of prayer. God, I thank you for the words in Acts chapter 8. I thank you, Lord, for these stories and how meaningful they are to us and to our journey of faith. And God, I just know that there's powers at work in our life that want to distract us, that want us to think about trying to obtain gift from you by use of money or power or whatever. But we know that there's something so beautiful in who you are that you freely give it to us, God. You reach out through your Holy Spirit and through your community of faith just reaffirming in us all the goodness that you have for us and that we might find a rightness of heart through you. So Lord, just be with us, God. Be with each and every one of us as a community of faith right now. And we lift this service up to you, God, and we lift this scripture up to you and we ask that we might receive afresh again today the word that your spirit gives us, your gift. We lift this up to you in prayer and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.